1: morning, Hornets fan, and welcome back to another Beat. This is Richie, and I'm going solo today to chat a little bit about Game 5 of the NBA Finals, where Nuggets are finally NBA champions, and get into that rumor that was circulating about the Pelicans interested in moving up for Scoot Henderson. I'll share my thoughts on whether or not I think it'd be a good idea for Charlotte to make that move, but first, I'd really appreciate it. If you could show us support on Apple Podcasts by giving us a five-star rating and review. If it's a clever one, a thoughtful one, we'll read it on an upcoming episode. The most recent review comes from a user named Vegan Meat38. It states, not hot takey, thoughtful analysis that stirs on fandom. Diligent commentary as fans grin and bear the rebuild. So, we appreciate any and every rating and review that comes our way. I wish Spotify had a way to put out not just ratings, but also reviews. That's why we always suggest the Apple Podcast one because we can actually sit down and read those. So, before I get into the Hornet stuff, in those rumors, I wanted to share my thoughts and observations on Game 5 and the Nuggets as they have won the NBA championship. It was a very, very ugly game that ended 94-89. It felt like I was watching a game from the mid-90s, a lot of missed layups, a lot of fouls, a lot of turnovers, a lot of loose balls, players falling on the floor, a lot of empty possessions where it just was not looking the greatest. I think the the beginning of the fourth quarter, end of the third quarter, uh, there was parts of that where it was just hard to watch. But for the most part, the shooting just wasn't great for either team, and uh, the shots just weren't falling. I thought that the Heat probably should have been more had more of a, a lead at halftime, and they're probably kicking themselves uh, for losing this game because they could not extend that lead. And I thought really what held Denver back, especially early in this game in the first half, was the early turnovers, foul trouble and sure some of the turnovers were the dead ball ones like travels and offensive fouls but the momentum and rhythm really were hard to pick up and that played right into Miami's hands uh, at least in terms of the scoreboard in the first half obviously the Miami Heat could not take advantage of that and enforce a game six but Jokic picked up his second foul in the first quarter with about three minutes left, and he didn't return until nine minutes left in the second quarter. I think that the Heat went on several runs in the first half, but they definitely made a run when Jokic was on the bench. And that you know leads me to my next point with the zone. I remember watching game one, and when the Heat pulled out the zone in the fourth quarter, and it was successful, uh, although they lost the game, that was something that you wondered if they can pull out every once in a while, whether it was after a timeout or whether it was, you know, when Jokic was on the sideline and they did do that when Jokic got his second foul. And I don't believe the heat actually played any zone in game four. If they did, I must've missed it. But anyway, they went to the zone with Jokic out and it really slowed things down, mucked things up. Even Kevin Love was making plays defensively on the back end of the zone and huh, i am not sure why cody zeller this is just a completely unrelated thought cody zeller played one minute in the fourth quarter and in that one minute it felt like everything went denver's way zeller even missed a putback which i thought was a fairly easy make for the heat and then within like a minute the nuggets went on like a 5-0 run and Spo had to call a timeout. And I remember tweeting uh, during the commercial break that I had seen enough of Zeller and they probably should take him out. And with that timeout, they did make that substitution. I wondered if they had gone to Kevin Love, could they have kept things a little bit closer? I know that was just a 5-0 run, but that momentum felt like it shifted from the heat to Denver there. We're
0: driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
2: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: When Jokic is in the game, though, he is the perfect counter to that zone because he is so patient. You put him in the middle of the floor. He seals his man at the high post to where he can get position make his way inside the paint he's used as in like an outlet a release valve right there in the middle and he has options like if bam or wherever the big is is allowing him to kind of creep up and hit the floater he's going to do that if bam starts to crowd him he's going to try to dribble around Or if others come to double at the free throw line, he's going to see over the top and make a skip pass to the opposite corner. And the issue was with the Nuggets in the first half, but just, you know, and generally speaking, they did a good job of collapsing the defense and kicking it out to shooters, but they weren't making their three-pointers. They were 5 of 28. That's 18%. Uh, In the game, they were 1-15 of in the first half. So things weren't really much better in the second half. But the way that Jokic can attack a zone, collapse the defense, make the pass over the top, that wasn't the issue. Shots just weren't falling. Porter Jr. uh, especially has been struggling from behind the arc in recent games. But he tried to make his impact as much as he could and as much as possible. He was scrapping on the offensive glass inside the arc. Uh, he was trying to get to the rim on cuts. He was trying to grab offensive rebounds. He even hit a floater. He finally did hit a three late in the game that felt like a momentum shifter, but again, it, it couldn't really pick up rhythm for the shooters there. And and just like everyone else, like the, it was very hard to watch from behind the arc. It was no consistent flow for the shooters. And like I said, it, it felt like a game from, from the 90s. The only make in that first half actually was from Jokic on on some flex action and if those don't you know they don't know what the flex action is is when the ball is on uh the high post there is a screen set on the low block of the opposite weak side post for a screener out of the corner and and Jokic was the screener in this situation for mpj i believe and mpj was coming off this flex screen on the weak side and the screen was set pretty pretty good and obviously jokic is is a uh, a big body so he can clear out some space so with bam defending jokic he had a step off and help out on the cut from mp mpj and jokic just kind of lifts to the wing and catches the ball and he really is uncontested and hits this one make that the nuggets have in the first half from behind the arc and Uh, Jokic obviously was the MVP of the finals. He and Murray had a great run uh, in this playoffs. Murray Murray was pretty good in this game. I wouldn't say that he was outstanding by any means because this team just had to scrap their way to a win. We have here Jamal Murray finishing 6 of 15 from the field with 14 points, but it was really just Nikola Jokic taking over when he had to knowing that the three-point shots weren't falling from him or just his teammates, so having that ability to see over the top and make the passes to his teammates, uh, because they weren't converting, he knew that he had to take advantage of any kind of position he could have in the post. And he was 12 of 16 from the floor with 28 points, had 16 rebounds. A lot of those rebounds on the defensive side of the court where a lot of times he just likes to bounce it off the uh, the glass to himself or tip it to someone else for a rebound. Uh, He's very good at that, knowing when players around him are converging on him and he's got to use the tap to secure that rebound but there are plenty of times late in the game when the Nuggets ran some pick and roll action in which they would get the switch and Jokic would have Caleb Martin or Lowry on him and he would just back him down for an easy bucket at the rim and I think that's what had to happen for the Nuggets and Jokic uh, to get things going Uh, because I you're looking up and down the The box score here, it's not pretty. Aaron Gordon, 1 of 6. You've got Bruce Brown, 4 of 14, although he did have a very, very crucial uh, putback late in the game that helped extend the lead. I thought uh, Christian Braun was pretty good defensively. 2 of 4 from the field, though. Uh, Jeff Green, did not realize, was 2 of 2 from the field. I didn't even realize he took two shots. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope had a big steal late in the game, but 4 of 10 from the field. And Michael Porter Jr., 7 of 17, but 1 of 6 from behind the arc. So it was definitely tough sledding for the Nuggets, but they found a way to win. Uh, they are a team that just kills you with the cuts. Uh, you saw it a lot in the first half where uh, the role players, not just not just Jokic, whoever was cutting, but they had other players making cuts and high-low action and, and, and stuff like that. So um, I think Bam Adebayo had a very, very strong half for the Heat. And he was aggressive, getting to the rim, backing his opponents down. But that totally shifted in the second half, and I think part of it was uh, the efforts on defense from Denver. But you have to wonder, you know, what happened there for Bam. Jimmy Butler was pretty much invisible throughout the game. He did have several threes late in the game that kept the heat in it, but it just felt too little too late for him. And there's also a controversial call with three minutes left to play where there was a foul called on Aaron Gordon on a Butler three-point attempt where I see both sides to it, but Jimmy clearly kicked his leg out as he was kind of catching the ball and, and rotating all in one motion. Gordon, to me, kept his verticality. But even after the review from Malone, the call stood, so you know they they went to the the boards to check it over, and even after that, I just didn't see where Gordon went wrong or what he could have done differently, but the the heat cut the lead to one point on the free throw attempt. That's not the reason Denver would have lost, but that was a play late in the game where you felt okay if the, if the Miami heat did force game six back in Miami, uh this call right here was one in which it could have shifted the momentum. But Denver battled it out, uh got some steals late, obviously hit their free throws late. They did not hit their free throws on the whole, but they did hit it late and uh they become NBA champions. So I think it's it's so interesting when you think about this NBA season and how odd the playoffs have been. I remember filling out a, a bracket to start this and I think I had Boston And Phoenix in the finals. And I so bad I'm not just saying this because they won it all, but I so badly wanted to have Boston and Denver. But year after year, uh Denver always fails me in terms of how they perform in the playoffs. But uh consistently they've been the best team all year. And even when the three point shot wasn't falling, because they are a team that hits the three point shot, they found other ways to win and, and scrap it out. And uh it almost felt like the heat were playing the heat in this game, the way that um, this, this game panned out. So it's good to see the the NBA finals come to a close. That means they, uh, the season is officially shifted over to the off season for all teams. NBA draft is coming up and I know I've got to get to the, the Hornets here in a second about the rumors and, and stuff of that nature, but good season for the Denver nuggets. and And it really paid off in this, in this playoffs when it seems like any team uh, could win on any given night. They were the most consistent team by far in this playoffs, not having lost many games. And guess Ish Smith, former Charlotte Hornet, former former a lot of teams uh, player, is finally an NBA champion. So, Sham Sharania reported that the New Orleans Pelicans are interested in trading up for Scoot Henderson, and so that leaves basically two teams in the running for the Pelicans to trade up with. They have got the 14th pick currently, and it's it's either going to be Charlotte or Portland at this point. The Pelicans, if they were to trade with Portland, it would almost have to be after Charlotte picked. If Charlotte went with Brandon Miller and they knew that Scoot Henderson was available at number three, then yes, they can go ahead and make that trade. I, I see no reason or really how they're going to trade up with Portland now, knowing that Charlotte holds all the leverage. And you you know, you know have to wonder where this report is coming from. Uh, but regardless, we'll, we'll treat it as if it's something serious and the Pelicans are actually considering getting Scoot Henderson in the draft. And so really the Hornets do hold all the cards in this situation. Uh, They can hold out for more picks. They can hold out for more assets within the trade. Pelicans do have a lot of future upcoming draft picks that the Hornets, I'm sure, would love to have if they are truly considering trading this pick. And Scoot Henderson actually worked out with the Hornets on Sunday. And it's so funny. There was no real post about Scoot, uh, no coverage from the Hornets media team putting out videos of the workout or pictures of this workout. And then you've got Brandon Miller, who's also working out for the Hornets today. And there's a debate right there between those two players. But let's just say that the Hornets were entertaining this trade, hypothetical trade with the New Orleans Pelicans. And so the number two pick and the number 14 pick would have to be in play, I would assume, in this year's draft draft. And then Hornets would obviously get other picks. And so I guess one player or I guess two players that you would be considering from the Pelicans roster would have to be Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson. I'll I'll go ahead and start with Zion just because he is the the bigger name. He was drafted first overall back in 2019. He has been in the league for four seasons. Uh, The biggest thing that jumps off at the profile with Zion is the games played. And the health of of Zion really detracts from his value and is a big reason why that I don't really favor him if the Hornets were to get involved in this trade. So in the four seasons that he has played, he's played a total of 29 games, 61 games, and 24 games. And then in one season, he played zero games. So I know that when you average the three seasons together, it's averaging out to 38, but it's really lower than that because of the the season that he just sat out. And for the Hornets to get involved in a trade for Zion, I think the compensation would have to be a little bit more than maybe someone like Brandon Ingram, who is older, obviously, but has a proven track record of staying on the court. Now, obviously, in the most recent season with bi uh he had an injury with his toe uh in, in most seasons that he's played he's getting to like 60 70 games per season and and zion can't say that now zion if healthy i think is the you know the, the better prospect the better player the better asset in this deal when you're comparing him to brandon ingram but uh it's not something that you can just avoid you can't avoid the fact that he has not been healthy now zion like just looking at him as a player A guy that's like very physical can get downhill. It's almost like he's a one man, you know, wrecking ball that can just bully his way to the rim and finish at a really good rate, driving uh, and really, you know, unabated to any kind of defense. He gets to the rim and is a guy that can finish too. Like he's powerful, he can dunk over people, uh, through people. And he'd be a guy that I feel would be awesome with Lamelo Ball when it comes to the transition game and uh, running the court with him. And you know, if he can stay at a healthy weight, if he could stay healthy, I think the combination of Zion and Lamelo makes a ton of sense. Uh, he can he can create for himself. He can't really shoot the ball from behind the arc, uh, but just looking at both of those players, they would complement each other really, really well. He's mobile when he is at that healthy weight. He impacts the game on both ends of the court, and he's a very good rebounder as well. And for a guy that's only 22 years of age to be paired next to Lamelo, like that would be a very good future duo. But I still can't get with the idea of trading for him. Um, you know, he's he's on a contract that's for I believe five more seasons at a fairly large number and when you factor that into play you would have to feel confident that down the road that this would not you know mess up any flexibility and you would hope that he could stay on the court and he's a local guy like bi from the area went to duke and i think there's appeal there being the number one overall pick but I, i would have a lot of hesitancy in trading for zion now i think. Where it all starts, if you were to make a trade for Zion, I think Terry Rozier is in play. I think Gordon Hayward could also be in play, but I'd almost you know, favor Terry Rozier in getting off future money, especially if you're bringing back someone like Zion, who's already under contract for more seasons than Rosier. And then I think the second overall pick for the 14th overall pick would also have to be in play but I would also want more I would also try to get more extract more from the pelicans whether it's a future first round pick a future second round pick but I think the basis of the deal for either of these guys I would think would be the number 2 overall pick for the 14th overall pick plus you know additional picks And, you know, getting off of Rozier and trying to acquire uh, Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson. Now, if you can somehow get a young player like Trey Murphy, who's very good on the defensive end and has shown um, some flashes offensively from behind the arc. You know, I think you're kind of pushing your luck in that situation, but who knows? I mean, it it all depends on how high the Pelicans are on Scoot Henderson. And to me, I'm not advocating a trade. Like, I'm not saying I want Brandon Ingram or Zion Williamson, but I'm just trying to entertain the idea. I, I think that the Hornets are not in a position to make a move to get a Brandon Ingram not that it's a, a must-win or a win-now type of move, but it certainly feels that way if you're getting off the number two overall pick versus a guy that has been in the league for a handful of years. And and Brandon Ingram is somebody that I, I do favor over Zion. If the, the package is right, I would favor Brandon Ingram over Zion Williamson. I think he's a guy that, when you look at his profile too, like, you know, health for the most part, has not been an issue other than this past season. He is a guy that you can put the ball in his hands and he can go get you a bucket. Uh, ISO situations, out of pick and roll situations. He is one of those guys, like when you see in the playoffs that you need to go get a bucket and everything is riding on this one possession, you feel comfortable with putting the ball in Brandon Ingram's hand as as a, as a closer, as a guy that can create shots, as a guy that can shoot the ball off the dribble inside the arc, outside the arc, a guy that can get to the rim and finish. I think one of the more underrated aspects of Brandon Ingram's game, uh, especially this past season is just his ability to play, make for others, not just himself and, you know, create that passing uh, opportunities for his teammates the versatility in what he does at skip passes. If people are going to come double him, he's not uh, so selfish to the point to where he's just going to try to beat the double. He's very patient. He obviously has the wingspan and the height to see over people and and make that skip pass to the corner or the quick pocket pass to the big and, and let the big make the four-on-three situation. So I think the talent is there as a playmaker. Defensively, Like I don't think he's quite there yet. Uh, On that end, you know, Zion probably has more of an impact or definitely has more of an impact when he's healthy on the court. Uh, But, you know, I, I just kind of value what he can bring to the court. Now, the conversation around, you know, where do I rank Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller, because I think there are people out there that think, oh, wow, if the Hornets are favoring Brandon Miller and you're lower on him, maybe you'd be more interested in a trade. For Brandon Ingram. I'm not sure. You know, I, I, at this point, I think the best route to take just because of the way that the Hornets are situated in terms of not fully being able to compete right now and still waiting on Gordon Hayward's contract to fall off and then depending on, you know, what, what they're going to do with Terry Rozier you know, I think that injuries obviously played a, a huge role in, in last season's success, or I guess lack thereof, but I don't think they're at the point to where they can bring on a 25-year-old established wing star in Brandon Ingram and think that that's going to take them over the top in just one season. I think he'd be a nice, nice pickup, a shot creator type of guy that um, adds a lot of things that the Hornets lack. But at this point, if you were all in on Scoot, I think the package that it would take to get off that number two pick would have to be pretty sizable. And I don't think it's just strictly Brandon Ingram in the 14th pick for Terry Rozier in the number two pick. You would be wanting more. And if that does end up being the trade, I think that would be A lack of foresight on the Hornets part, it would not be viewed as a success. And I'm not saying that's what the the Hornets and Mitch Kupchak would settle for, but it's just something to consider. So, you know, when it's all said and done, I don't think the Hornets are going to end up making a trade. I think they're going to hold on to this number two pick and draft either Scoot or Brandon Miller. Personal preference as I'm kind of getting into this is Scoot Henderson. But, you know, I think some people have made the case that Brandon Miller would even be a better output than trying to trade off this number two pick for uh, an injury-prone Zion Williamson or Brandon Ingram. So we wanted to make you guys aware, uh, as we transition to the end of this episode, of a upcoming episode that will actually include a film breakdown of Scoot Henderson. We're going to put it out as a podcast version as well. But the clips that accompany... The audio will add a little bit more context to what we are saying as we're looking through the film. But the only way that you'll be able to get the video version is if you are subscribed to BuzzBeat Plus. Visit buzzbeat.substack.com for more information on that. I will say that we do have a Father's Day special that goes until Father's Day. Uh, and, and you guys can redeem that between now and June 18th. You get twenty percent off an annual subscription. And if you wait to June 19th or June 20th. Uh, at that point, the deal will be up. The link will be in the episode notes of this podcast, but the direct link to get that discount if you just want to go ahead and do that right now, buzzbeat.substack.com slash dad23 to get 20% off an annual subscription. So draft is just around the corner this film breakdown of Scoot Henderson is just around the corner as well. If you want the audio version plus the video version, you need to be subscribed to BuzzBeat+. We appreciate you guys tuning in to another BuzzBeat episode. We will see you guys next time. Take care.